Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No matter who you are, things in your life probably aren't going as expected, whatever that means. But the things you are doing right now, no matter what they are, that's your life. It's not a plan B. I'm your host, Madeline Mortensen, and you're listening to This Is Not A Backup Plan. Hello friends, welcome to this week's episode. It is so much fun to be back recording regular episodes for you. In case anyone is curious, since my last episode, I did successfully go to San Francisco for my birthday. I had a family member who tested positive for COVID, so even though I am vaccinated, I was a little bit nervous that maybe I would get sick, but I didn't get sick. I was able to go. I went to a concert, ate lots of good food. I enjoyed the ocean. I bought a new Mary Oliver poetry book and just had an overall very nice time. So as I think most of you know, I recently finished my master's degree. And since I've graduated, lots of people are asking me, what am I doing next? And the answer is this. I'm sleeping. I'm reading. I am watching movies and TV shows. I'm planting flowers in my garden. And I am just in general enjoying the fact that I am not a student and never plan on being a student again. So in case you wanted an update on the hobbies thing, it's fabulous. And this week's episode is really fun because it's about something that I've been doing a little bit more of lately, which is gardening. I grew up in a family where we regularly had a nice vegetable garden and where my mom would plant flowers in our yard. And to be honest, I've just never considered myself to be someone who has a green thumb or who is any good at planting things. I remember as a teenager one morning, I thought, you know what, I'll get up early, I'll surprise my parents and do some weeding in the garden. That would be really helpful. They're really stressed. And I accidentally pulled up some of the tomato plants, which was mortifying because I really, really should have known better. But something happened when I bought a house and I've been trying out things that I was never interested in before. I've been trying out house plants, which I wouldn't say I'm awesome at, but I'm not terrible at. I have a lot of succulents, and I have some nice viney plants that I've been able to keep alive. And over the past few years, I've been gradually adding things to my garden. The first year, I didn't really do anything. I planted some seeds that are flowers that are coming back and I think are going to bloom this year, which I'm really excited about. And last year, I cleaned out a bed and put just a few perennial plants in, and I also put in some strawberries. And this year, I added a few more perennials and a bunch of annuals to my yard. And it's been really fun to see it come together. And it's been really fun to discover this new thing that I enjoy, that I enjoy having flowers to take care of, and that I'm excited to have strawberry plants. In this week's episode, my interview is Jessica Priest, who is a professor at Brigham Young University. And one of her hobbies is she loves to garden and preserve food. 
So in this episode, we're going to talk about her journey with gardening, the kind of things she plants, the kind of things she's learned, recommendations for starting, and some tips for food preservation. So without any further ado, I will get to my interview with Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me, Jessica. I'm really looking forward to visiting with you. Before we get started with our conversation, will you take a minute to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Jessica Priest. I live in Provo, Utah, and I am a professor. And so that's what I spend most of my time doing. But I also have a couple of dogs and a couple of chickens, and I enjoy being outside. I moved a lot as a kid, but I grew up mostly in Hawaii when I was yeah, like middle school on. So that's a little bit about me. That's really cool. So you teach political science at BYU, which is why I started following you because you've done some really cool research about like women in politics. And my master's degree is in political science. And I wrote a thesis about women in politics. But when I started following you, I was delighted to find that you also shared things about your garden and about food preservation. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I bought my own house about two years ago, and I grew up in a family where we like had gardens different years. And so I've been trying to grow some things. So what we're going to chat about today is your experience with gardening and some of the things you enjoy growing and some of the things you enjoy preserving. So can you just tell me about, have you always gardened? Is it something that you did as a child growing up? Is it something that you came to as an adult? What's been like your experience with that? Yeah. So my mom is a master gardener and has a very green thumb. And so we did a lot of gardening around the house when I was growing up. Not always vegetables, but there was always something growing and we always had Saturday chores. And to be honest, as a kid, I hated it. But as often happens as you grow up and you start having your own uh, home and you start seeing the wisdom of the ways of your parents. You know, I have a house that is like a 60 year old house and there was a yard and the yard was fine, but there just wasn't much there. It was just like grass. And so over the last about 10 years that I have had my home, I've just slowly figured out what is it that I want to be growing here and what do I want out of my yard? And one of the things that I wanted out of my yard was a vegetable garden and fruit trees and bushes and things like that. And just because it makes me happy. So in the last 10 years, I've started doing more of it myself and, and it's just grown over the time. That's cool. Will you tell me a little bit more of that process of picking what you've wanted and how you've decided like what you've put in your yard and maybe the ways that it's evolved over the past 10 years? Yes, yes. Okay. So I do have thoughts about this. I think ideally, like, you know, if you ask somebody that's like a professional or something, they'll be like, okay, what you should do is you should develop a plan, right? Like you should have a landscaping plan and then that will allow you to not waste your time or money on things that you don't end up liking. And I think that's generally very good advice. I think it's also very hard advice to see that big picture. And and actually, shortly after I moved in, I hired a, a student who was a landscape design student to do a landscape plan. And he asked all sorts of really great questions about what do you want? And, and the, the problem was, is I didn't know what I wanted, I think was really the long and the short of it is I hadn't been in the house long enough to get a really good sense of how I used my space, how I wanted to use my space, the, just the general patterns of 
coming and going and how much time I'd want to spend outside and what I'd want to be doing. And so he did, he created a landscape design for me, a plan. And, and it just sat in my cupboard for quite some time. And mostly because as many homeowners No, there are often other things that you have to spend your money on in the meantime, other than the fun stuff. But as you know, a few years ago, I ended up actually essentially just putting the beds where he had designed the beds. He had taught me this really cool trick. P.S. This was really great. He's like, whenever you're doing curved beds, what you really want to do is you want to create like a compass and actually make the various parts of the bed pieces of circles and then connect them together and it will look much more professional. And he's right, it does. So yeah, so I put in some of the the bigger, you know, planted the tree that goes in the front yard and, and that kind of stuff. And then I realized that the place that he had put the vegetable garden just wasn't going to work for me. And so I ended up converting sort of the front side yard into my vegetable garden in part because it's the sunniest part of my yard. And yeah, and vegetables love sunshine. And so it's just on the other side of my driveway and it's great. Well, I killed all the grass and put down a bunch of mulch and have just been plucking away at that ever since. I mean, I think that as far as the lessons learned, yeah, it would have been great if I had known from the very beginning that that's what I wanted to do. You don't always have the time and foresight and money to plan everything from the very beginning. And so sometimes you end up having to pull stuff out that you planted two years ago and it's okay. Well, it seems too like there's an element of trying it out, like until you live with the plants, until like you've tried it where the garden spot is, you don't know what it's going to be like. So it makes sense that even if you do go into it with some planning, that adjustments are going to have to happen if it's something that you want to continue to work for you. Absolutely. It's a trial and error kind of thing. I'm the kind of person that I would have I would have loved to just be able to like read all of the books and have it tell me like exactly where to plant everything everything and where I, and and I do think that's important, like putting the right plant in the right space and thinking about what are its needs for sunlight and what are its, what will plant nicely next to. And I think all of that is true, but sometimes you just have to put something in and then think, oh, that's not quite right. (laughs) Or I don't really like it there. I'm not using it in the way that I thought. And so I'm going to move it. And part of this is like, I I ended up getting chickens a little while ago and the place that was on the plan for the vegetable garden was in the backyard and I didn't want the chickens eating all of my vegetables. And so I needed to have them separated by a fence. And so that's that kind of stuff that you figure out as you go along. That makes sense. So then I want to talk more about your vegetable garden. Tell me a little bit about maybe how that's evolved over time and how you've picked the different kinds of things that you want to grow in it and also managing what you're going to grow and how much you're going to grow. I know there's lots of thought process and trial and error that goes into those different aspects of a vegetable garden. So I think the one consistent thing is that I always want tomatoes, right? Tomatoes are the thing that is just like a homegrown tomato. Everybody knows there's nothing like a homegrown tomato. And and so that was sort of, yeah, that, that was always going to be a fixture. And that was one of the first things to go in. I also really think carrots are underrated as like a homegrown vegetable. 
yeah, so I knew I wanted to put in tomatoes. I knew I wanted to put in carrots. And then over the years, I've done different things. Like I put beets in this year. I don't know if, I don't know how I'm going to like that. We'll see. And I I tried onions last year and it didn't really work out. They didn't like the spot that they were in. So I've moved them around. And then there was the year that I planted too much zucchini, which is everybody's problem. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of, for me, it's like, what am I going to eat? What are the things that I like the best and thinking a little bit about seasonality. I know like in theory, you can do what they call succession planting where like you put the early vegetables in and you can harvest them and then there's the next batch, but I have not gotten that to work for me. I think Utah's springtime is too short for that to really work very well. So like I've got radishes right now in a bed that I will eventually be putting the cucumbers in, but it's like almost time to plant the cucumbers and the Radishes are not done yet. And so they might, I might just end up pulling them out. So it's just a, there's a lot of trial and error. Okay. I find that very comforting because I've done like minimal planting, but I always feel like, oh, it's May. Maybe I should have planted some things. And then I live in Logan and it was snowy this morning. And I'm like, we had some snow too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, oh, glad that I didn't plant anything yet because apparently it's still winter. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, so because I, spent a lot of time in Hawaii growing up. And then I did graduate school in Los Angeles. I've spent a lot of my life in places without distinct seasons. And so when I moved to Provo, one of the things that I learned, I mean, I I, I always thought spring is just like gradually gets warmer, right? It's just, it's winter and then it gets a little bit warmer and then it's summertime. But no, spring is just like, who knows what the weather is going to be. That's all that season is. It's like, it could be summer, it could be winter, could be anything in between. So I think that's just, I feel a, a greater sense of appreciation for my farmer ancestors. They were trying to make some of these very difficult decisions without modern weather forecasts. Yes. Oh, that's funny. When it comes to vegetables to plant, do you have recommendations of ones that are good for beginners to try out? If someone's like, this is new, I don't want to do too much at once. What are some good starter vegetables that are maybe a little bit more tried and true? Yeah. So my first suggestion is if you can, having a raised bed makes everything easier. So, you know, you can, I, I, you can buy something on Amazon or Wayfair or something like that, but also at most of the hardware stores now, I didn't know about this. If I had known about this, I would have done my garden differently, but they have these blocks. They're like cinder blocks, but they've got, they're square and they've got little divots in the side that you can just slide two by six boards in. And so it's like a really cheap, easy way to make a little raised bed. You just get a couple of these blocks and make the four corners. And then if you want to make it taller, you can stack them on top. And then you just slide in the the two by six boards. And now you've got a raised bed once you add the dirt. And so that's my first suggestion is if you can do that, that helps to control a lot more the soil. And so that would be my first suggestion. Carrots are pretty easy. Let's see. I've had really easy luck with strawberries. So they take some space, but my strawberries have been very happy. And then tomatoes aren't that bad, right? They're they're pretty drought tolerant. And so I think tomatoes are good. You can also sprinkle the seeds of like spinach or lettuce and those will mostly start. Arugula will start pretty easily. I think those are some suggestions for things that 
that are pretty easy. I did try to do potatoes last year and those didn't really work out very well for me. So that was like my main big failure was I couldn't get potatoes to really get, I mean, they, they were like the size of a quarter, essentially. Not very satisfying after they've been growing for several months. I guess the other thing that I would say is I, I would recommend buying, if you're not going to grow from seeds, which I don't think is a necessary thing for beginner gardeners. I think by going ahead and buying the four inch starts from a garden center is like a totally fine and respectable thing to do so that you can figure out what you want. But my recommendation would be to go to an actual like garden center rather than just Lowe's or Home Depot, because the local garden centers will pick varieties that are well suited to your area. Whereas like Lowe's or Home Depot, just get whatever the order is in. Here are the top 10 favorite varieties of tomatoes in America, and they just get a shipment of those in. Whereas your local garden center will often pick varieties that are really good. The other thing, if you're in Utah or really any state, whichever is the sort of agricultural university. So in Utah, it's Utah State University. We'll have an extension service and Utah State University's agricultural extension website is so useful. It's got so much information. It's got planting dates. It's got varieties that work well in Utah. It's got different zones of Utah and all sorts of information. It's really helpful. And most agricultural extension, most places have an agricultural extension that that is just a wealth of information. I love the tip about the local garden stores. I was buying some plants last year and I did go to my local garden store to buy my strawberries and I bought some other things with it, which I definitely spent a little bit more on than if I had went to somewhere else. But the quality of help I got with information about starting my strawberries was totally worth it. And they even, I thought this was so thoughtful. They even had an automated text system and it sent out a text before the first freeze, which I think was coming like earlier than expected. And they're like, hey, like just so you know, like it's going to freeze. And I feel like anything more that I spent was really worth the like extra localized help that I got from that experience. Yes. And they typically have buyers that, that will be sure to get like first quality plants. So there are sort of like different grades of plants. And so maybe you're going to spend a little bit more, but it's much more likely that those plants are going to you know, really thrive. They're not going to have diseases or anything. So I, I do think it's useful. And the truth is, unless you have a really big garden, it's not more economical really <laughs> to grow your own food. And at this point, it's like, just pay the extra $1 per plant. You're not doing this for money purposes, unless you're really doing it for money purposes, and then you're going to go about it in a totally different way. So if you're just getting started, recognize that this is not going to be like the most cost-effective way to get some carrots and just go ahead and spend the little bit extra money at your local garden center. I think the quality of help, like that's what you're paying the extra for. And especially mm -hmm. if you're trying this out as a new hobby, like you want to do that because it will change your experience. Yes, totally. And sometimes they'll have guarantees or something at some of these nicer places. So if, if, it, if your plant dies, then you can sometimes get money back. That's cool. 
Let's switch then to food preservation. You've canned some really fun things. Like I remember a few summers ago, like the list of things you were saying, and it was like jams and chutneys, and it was like all these fun, like different flavors. So tell me a little bit about what kinds of things do you like to preserve? What's your process as you go about doing that? Yeah. Okay. So I have, I think it's really fun to experiment with various condiments, essentially, <laughs> is what I love. And because you can, they're just different flavors. So the first thing that I will say is when you're doing food preservation, you should make sure to use a recipe that looks like it's from some kind of official source, right? Somebody that actually knows what they're doing because things can go south with food preservation. You don't want to get yourself or other people sick. So the very first thing is when you're first starting out, don't experiment too much, like stick with recipes that people have tested and whatnot. And then once you learn a little bit more about preserving, you start understanding what are the things that you can add or subtract that don't affect the safety. So spices with the exception of like garlic or what, but if you're going to put in, you know, various just like dried spices, those are typically fine. You can add those without giving yourself botulism. But for the most part, you want to look for a real recipe online. Or my favorite recommendation here is there is a fantastic cookbook. It's called Jam Session. And it goes through with all the different fruits and, and some vegetables and just has really creative recipes that are tried and true. So like my two of my favorites are there's an apricot mustard recipe, which is amazing. It is so delicious. It is so, so good. I just, it's like, I didn't know mustard could be a thing that I had strong feelings about, but it's delicious. And then another recipe is like a Moroccan flavored cherry tomato preserve thing. And it's just got cherry tomatoes and various seasonings. And it's also really amazing. And there's a green tomato chutney and lots of really cool. I have not had any of those recipes be duds. They're all really interesting and delicious. So that's my go-to. And I just have been cooking my way through that book. And the reason I like the book is because it's organized by fruit. And when you get apricots, you get a lot of apricots and you can preserve them. You can just bottle them. That's fine. But it is nice to have three things to do with apricots rather than just now I have 40 bottles of apricots and that's my go-to recipe book. So my secret is out now. I love that. Okay. I'm very excited to try that out because I've watched you post what you're making and I've been so curious. I'm like, these are really fun ideas. Where are they coming from? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a, Some of them are random ones from that I found online, but all of the really interesting ones come from that book. I just think that jam is surprisingly easy, especially compared to other things that you can preserve. Like it's pretty straightforward. You're running a lot less of the like preservation risks that you might get nervous with some foods like jam is a safer one. And I think it has a big wow factor as a gift or like when you serve it to people, because it's not necessarily as hard as people might imagine it to be. It can be a fun process. And then it just is a really nice like gift. It has like nice presentations. I think yes. Yes, yes. And I and even things like, oh, you're going to have a backyard barbecue and and oh, let's just grill hot dogs. So you can take grilling hot dogs from being just regular old thing to now, oh, I've got my grilled hot dogs, but here are like here's some chutney and here's some like homemade spiced ketchup and here's some mustard, you know, various flavors of mustard and it just elevates it. It makes it seem very fancy even when it's just hot dogs grilled on your barbecue. 
Oh, I think that's really fun. So now I'm curious, do you have anything that you're planting this year that you're really looking forward to or any recipes that you've been eyeing that you think this is going to be the year that you're going to try them out? Oh, let's see. What am I doing differently this year? So like I said, I'm curious about how the beets go. I'm also curious about how excited I'm going to be about having beets. Like that's part of it is sort of figuring out what is it that I like to eat and what is it that I don't like to eat. And I realized I'm probably not going to do radishes again because I just don't love radishes that much. So this year, I'm curious to see how the beets turn out. I've got a new system where I'm growing, I'm going to try and grow some cherry tomatoes like on a trellis netting thing that I've built. And so that will be exciting to see how that turns out if I can be disciplined enough to go and contain it on a regular basis. So I'm excited about that. As far as preserving, I'm always curious, are we going to get apricots this year? Because I love my apricot mustard. I'm always waiting with bated breath to see if the apricots made it through, made it through the freeze. And I just looked out at my tree today and there are a few, I don't know if they're going to I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be a crop, but there are a few hanging on there. So that's what I'm waiting for is to to find out if I can make apricot jam this year. Oh, I really hope you get some apricots. That would be fun. Practical question. How do you manage? Do you leave your garden for periods of time? Are you someone that goes places in the summer? How do you manage that? Yeah, that is tricky. So I haven't really gotten anywhere that much the last couple of years because of the pandemic, but I am going on an extended camping trip in August this year, which is kind of a bummer because that's like prime vegetable time. But yeah, I've just had neighbors come in water and I found just this week online. So I have some big rain barrels that I've, the, the part of my garden, the vegetable garden doesn't have like sprinklers in it. And, and hand watering is just a pain, but I, I have a couple rain barrels that I've just taken over there and filled up with just hose water. And I found online that there's like a, you can create a drip irrigation system, even a timed drip irrigation system, just using like rain barrels. And so I'm really, I'm looking into that to see if that's going to be a viable option. But I, I have good neighbors who are usually happy to water in return for a nice harvest. So that's how I've managed it in the past or just gone on trips that aren't very long, but it, it can get tricky because the gardens don't do well, especially here in Utah without quite a lot of attention and, and watering. They need love. They really do. It's a harsh climate that we live in. So, yeah. Something that you touched on, and I don't think this is a secret at all, that like growing your own food, um, making your own jam, like that's not necessarily something you do because it's cheaper. And it's not something that we do because we like need to. We live in a very different world than people used to. We have so much access to food. So tell me a little bit about why this is something that you invest time in and money and maybe what you feel like it adds to your life. Yeah. So I think about this a lot. I feel I, and I don't really know how to say this exactly. It's just that I feel very connected to ancestors, to land. There's something very grounding about growing something from the soil and knowing that's like a thing that people have done forever and are still doing, right? It's just harder to see because we are, fewer of us live on farms than used to. And so I, I feel that way. You know, my grandmother was telling me that, so she grew up in a family, there were 16 kids in her family. It was yours, mine, and ours kind of situation during the depression. And she would, she tells stories about her mother just 
bottling things like crazy, just trying to have enough food to feed this huge family during the depression. And so as I'm like bottling things and canning things, it does, I feel very connected to the women who have come before me. It feels there's something nice about that. But I also, I also just personally enjoy watching things and helping things become what they are if that makes sense. So it's like you plant a seed and you know what the seed can be. And so helping it become what it is really, I like that a lot. I like, I I think that's part of teaching is helping students become what they are and, and facilitating that, that just hits nicely with my personality. And then there's also the part of me that's maybe, you know, my anxious Mormon ancestors are sort of like, better have that food growing, better have a garden, you know, never know what might happen. And so there's a way in which it's like calms my generalized anxiety about the world, even though, like you said, we have plenty of food floating around, but it's sort of like, ah, if you have a good vegetable garden, like how bad could things really get? Is there anything else you want to share that we didn't touch on? I just think the last thing I would say is that I have also just really grown to appreciate soil and which sounds like such a strange thing, but just to think about the sort of ecological connections between waste and soil and, and composting and all of those kinds of things have been really, really helpful to me to think about. We hear people talk a lot about ecology and, and climate change and all these kinds of things. And Our soil is actually really a big part of that. There's some interesting, actually, documentaries that you can see on Netflix or whatever about about soil. To me, there's also just something really beautiful about amending the soil and seeing the worms begin to multiply and love what you've been putting in the soil. And then they do their thing. And it is this sort of virtuous cycle of, of health. And that feels very optimistic in a time where we get lots of very pessimistic news about the earth and our planet. And so I just, on my little tiny, small scale, I really, I think there's something really beautiful about being able to have a virtuous cycle of soil amending and and fertility and production. I think that's so cool. And I think it's so cool to think about what we can tend and cultivate in our own spaces, whether that's literally or metaphorically. I think that's really cool something for me as I've had a house and chosen to plant things in my garden is in my 20s where I sometimes feel a little bit unrooted and where I'm like reestablishing myself as an adult and where my home is not what it used to be and I'm trying to create that for myself. Planting things says that I'm investing in something and it says that I'm planning on being here. And it also says that even if I'm not here in the future, I care about what this looks like for other people. And that has been a very important physical act. I planted strawberries last year and was disappointed to find out that they recommend you pluck the blossoms the first year so that the roots get established. So I did that. And that was really disappointing. But now that I'm like going to be here this year and really hopefully going to have strawberries if all my blossoms haven't frozen off, it just feels like this thing I said I'm investing in this and I'm going to be here. And that's been important, I think, too, as I've been trying to reestablish myself as an adult. Yeah. So I three or four years ago, so when I got the house, I, the, one of the first things that I thought was there needs to be a tree in the front yard. It's just there's just big grassy area and and I just I need a tree in this front yard, even just for scorching purposes. And I spent a long time trying to think, like, what tree should I plant and how much 
sun is is it going to shade and where should I put it and all this kind of stuff and really dawdled for several years for five five or six years and just all the while thinking I should have planted this tree last year I should have planted this tree last year and then and then a couple of years ago finally decided to put a ginkgo tree in for a couple of reasons one it's just like well suited to the soil and the the location and it, it ginkgo trees are uh, resistant to pollution, which is also an important thing, unfortunately, <laughs> where I live. But also ginkgo trees are really ancient and really um, they're survivors. And, and so there are ginkgo trees that survived Hiroshima. And so that idea of this permanence, this this tree that's a slow grower, but it'll be here forever. And my neighbors came over and helped me plant it and dig it. And so there is this sort of sense of like, it's not just about I planted this tree, but we planted this tree. This is like the neighborhood came together and dug these holes and helped me kind of keep it up straight and and plant it. And, and so now I just, I look at that tree and as it's been getting slowly a little bit bigger and just think, yeah, that tree is going to, that tree is going to outlast me. It's going to be here forever unless someone tears it down. And it is a, a sense of the future and investment and permanence. That's really beautiful. Are there good places if people want to find you on the internet or social media? Well, you know, I, I, I have a Twitter account. What is my handle? I think it's JRP, JRP, JRP. Very creative. It's my initials. I haven't been tweeting much lately, but you're welcome to, welcome to follow along. And yeah, so that's probably the best place to find me. Thank you so much for your time. This has been really lovely. Thank you so much for having me, Maddie. I really appreciate it. It's been fun to talk about something other than work. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to Jessica for her time. After Jessica and I stopped recording, we chatted for a few more minutes and something she shared is that because her garden is in her front yard, it provides her really wonderful opportunities to connect with her neighbors. And so I just love knowing that beyond feeding Jessica and beyond providing her a hobby that's very meaningful in her life, that Jessica's garden is also a source of community connection for her, which is something I think all of us need a little bit more of. An update, in case you were curious, is since I recorded this episode, my strawberry plants are really thriving. I have lots of little berries forming. And in the meantime, I have purchased some strawberries from the store and I am awaiting an order of a special pectin so that I can make a strawberry balsamic jam, which I am super excited to try out and seems like something that Jessica might find in that really cool cookbook of hers. If you want to find me on social media, I'm on Twitter at Madeline K. And this podcast is on Instagram at not a backup plan. The link to my Patreon is in the show notes as well as a full episode transcription. I can't wait to chat with you next time. And remember, this is your life. It's not a plan B. 